We're going to be looking today in what happened the afternoon of the resurrection and looking at Jesus meeting up with a couple of followers of his. And it's a somewhat long passage of scripture, so you can remain seated as we read from Luke chapter 24 and starting at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he came in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way. Now Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Lord, thank you for your word. And and Lord, as you opened up the scriptures to them, I pray that your spirit would open up the scriptures to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes you have those pictures that you can see different things in them. And you can maybe see something, and if somebody told you, look, and this is a picture of a tree, you look and you see the tree, but if somebody tells you, look, there's an animal there, you look and you see the animal. And, and what you're told you're going to see often ends up influencing what you really do see. 
the world in a way is telling us as we look at things in life, the world's telling us one thing that we're supposed to see. The world says to see just all these problems, all this mess. But then Jesus comes along and he says, you can look and see something different. You can see something in addition to what the world sees. You can see something more. Often, though, we only see the bad things. For these two guys along the road, they had seen some really bad things. In the last couple days for them, it had been the worst days ever. They had seen Jesus get arrested. They saw him be mocked and and treated terribly and then crucified. And and they saw all of this. and, And now as they looked around, they just saw confusion. They saw despair. And like them, we see all over the deeds of the wicked. Before they found out that it was Jesus, they're, they're talking a little bit about how it seems to them. Jesus had been the, the best thing that had ever happened to him. He, as they describe him here, they said he was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed. They'd never met anybody like Jesus. They had built their hopes all up and, and been so amazed by him. And, and then their leaders, as they say, their, our leaders crucified him. And they're maybe thinking in their mind, okay, we're going to really pay for this. They're maybe thinking in their mind, okay, God is going to punish us terribly because our leaders did this to the best thing ever, the best person who's ever walked this earth, and we treated him like this. Boy, God's going to really punish us now. They can't imagine that that they would do such a thing to Jesus. The greatest demonstration ever of love and of grace and of kindness and mercy. And then he got rejected, persecuted, crucified. And they're thinking, this is as wicked as it gets. We think immorality stuff, that boy, that's really bad and wicked. And it is, but really in a way, when it comes down to it, rejecting the Lord. Rejecting him, wanting nothing to do with the Lord. That's about as low as it gets. And that's what these guys had seen. In Acts chapter 3, Paul's speaking to the people and talks about the wickedness. And he tells them, he says, You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Well, these guys on the road to Emmaus, they're in agreement with that, but they haven't yet realized the rest of the verse. There in Acts, he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. But if you just start at that portion, you're thinking, what a wicked world. What terrible evil that they would kill the author of life. These guys were recognizing the wickedness in the world, and they maybe saw it a little more clearly because they had, before that, spent time with Jesus. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 6, the prophet, he's seen the Lord, and he's seen the holiness of God, and then he responds, he says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. He says he's seen the king, and now he realizes how unclean he is and how unclean the people are. 
these guys on the road to Emmaus, they spent time with Jesus. And that led to them realizing, boy, we are a wicked people. And similar, in a way, it should be that way for us. We spend time with the Lord and we realize we're sinful and our world is sinful too. A new guy who traveled a lot and he uh, had a little issue. Uh, he said he was kind of on maybe borderline germaphobe. <laughs> and he, he got one of these devices that he could use. He'd go into hotel rooms and you get this device and then you kind of sweep it over the bed and it tells you what kind of germs and stuff is on the bed. Afterwards, he said, I don't think I should have ever gotten that thing. He says, I go into these hotel rooms and it all looked fine to me till I swept that thing over the bed. And I go, man, there's all kinds of stuff on this. When a way, being time with God, it, it causes us to recognize, boy, we live in an unclean world. <laughs> and then it causes us to also have to humbly admit, I'm unclean too. And it works kind of like that machine on our soul. And we realize God speaks through word and we realize, boy, I'm sinned, I have a problem. And our world is sinful as well. And as we look around us, we see things not going the way we hoped. These guys, as a conversation starts, they, they say, we, we hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. Their hope, though, was that he would redeem Israel from under the Romans. They hoped that he would redeem Israel from the corrupt leaders that they had. Their hope was kind of just for this day and age. It was that things would get better politically and get better economically. It wasn't that their hopes were too big. They were kind of thinking that maybe before they realized Jesus had risen. No, actually their hopes were too small. Because Jesus came to redeem, but not just redeem from the Romans. He came to redeem us from our sin. He came not just to make our life a little more comfortable on this earth. He came to give us life now and for all eternity. He came to do work much bigger than what these guys realized. Sometimes us, for us as well, we, we have hopes that are a little too small. We're just hoping for this life and this present conditions to improve a little bit. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 19, he says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If our hope is just that he'll make things a little better here, he'll make political situation a little better, economic situation a little better, make me feel a little better, if that's all we're hoping for, our hopes just aren't big enough. And God wants us to have far bigger hopes than that. I was at a pastor's group years ago. It was around Christmas time, and as a kind of means of discussion, they asked the guys, uh, if you could get anything for Christmas, what would you hope for? What would you like? And it was an invitation to dream about what would be your real hopes that you'd receive at Christmas. And something like, you know, hoping for a, a kid who's wandered away from the Lord to come back to the faith and, and a hope to see all kinds of people come into a new relationship with Christ. And, and there was one guy in the group, they asked him, well, what would you hope for for Christmas? And, 
And in a way, he wasn't maybe getting the point. He said, well, I hope for some new, some warm socks. And I was thinking afterwards, is that all you're dreaming about? <laughs> is that all your hopes are? Is that all your dreams that you just dream you'd get some warm socks? Don't you have bigger hopes than that? And yet sometimes in our life, in a way, that's all we're hoping for. Well, we hope that he'd maybe fix things right now. We hope that he could improve things just right now. We hope he could fix this little problem, that problem. The Lord comes and says, I got bigger plans than that. I want to conquer your sin and death and give you a life eternal. Let us dream big because we have a big God. These guys on the road, they saw the wickedness. They saw things weren't going the way they'd hoped they would. But then Jesus comes. And Jesus wanted them to, to dream bigger and he wanted them to see more. To see how God is carrying out his plan. It seemed to them like wicked was in charge Evil was just having its way. They crucified Jesus. It just seemed like, boy, evil can do just whatever they want to do. No, we are to expect to see the Lord at work. Expect to see the Lord at work. Jesus, he, at first as he's with them, he, he acts like he doesn't know what's happening. And they say, are, are you the only one who doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem? The reality is, those guys don't know what's happening. <laughs> those guys thought Jesus was kind of uninformed. <laughs> but really, Jesus was aware of what was going on. They weren't aware. They weren't aware that God was at work doing this miraculous deed of raising Jesus from the dead. We can at times be aware of what evil is doing, but missing out on what God is doing. The Lord is, is doing what he has said he's going to do. And Jesus points that out to them. He points them to scripture and, and he, he lets them know that God is at work. He's doing what the prophets had said. He, he says to them, did not the Christ have to suffer? These guys, they, as they tell Jesus, they said, well, the women went to the tomb. They got a vision of angels and no body. But they're kind of assuming, well, that probably means that these evil men went and took the body. And, and they're downcast, even though the women had the vision of the angels and stuff. And you get the sense these guys aren't thinking, oh, maybe God is doing something. And it's, it's understandable because you wouldn't just assume, oh, it probably means a resurrection happened. <laughs> it's not where you just assume. But when it's God at work, you assume the miraculous he assumed that maybe he's doing something that's beyond our understanding. In John chapter 5, Jesus said to them in verse 17, he says, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. We are to assume that God is at work. Even when things look bad. Like it did for those guys that afternoon, it looked bad and, and they're wondering what's going on, but Jesus wants them to assume God's at work. Yeah, things aren't looking real good right now. It looks like evil's having its way, but God's still at work. 
And for us, too, we can look around us at the world scene and, boy, we can see all kinds of bad things going on. It doesn't change the fact. It doesn't change the promise that God is still at work. In John chapter 4, it tells of Jesus having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were kind of outcasts, considered outcasts by the Jews. And then Jesus comes and the the disciples come to him and then Jesus says to them, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He's wanting the guys to see more than just, these are some Samaritans and they haven't followed the rules the way you think they should. He wants them to see more than this woman who has a past that's kind of messed up. He wants them to see that God is at work. He's bringing people to faith. He's touching lives. And he wants us to have that same kind of vision. To look around us and not just see the bad things that are going on and the evil things that the world's doing, but to see that there's people who are open and people who are coming to faith and good things that God's doing. In the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, the prophet Elijah, he was being hunted by King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and they wanted to kill him and it seemed like nobody was really trusting the Lord and he moans to God. He says, I'm the only one left. And then God tells him, he says, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. He's telling Elijah, he says, Elijah, you might not see those who have faith and to you it might look like Ahab and Jezebel have in their way. He says, no, don't just see what Ahab and Jezebel are doing. See what God is doing. And for us as well, at times, all we see are what the Ahabs and the Jezebels of the world are doing. See what God is doing. These days, at times, we can see it. All kinds of stuff and think that, boy, Christianity is going downhill and there's not much faith. There was an article recently I read. He says, seven encouraging trends of global Christianity. You can read the whole article if you want, but I'll just give you the, the trends he talks about. He says, religious faith is growing faster than the irreligious. In our country, yes, Atheism seems to be growing in numbers, but he says worldwide, actually, there's less atheists today than there were in, in 1970. Christianity continues to grow is number two. Number three, growth is fastest in the global south, meaning in Asia and in Africa. Number four, Christianity continues to spread out around the world. Number five, the percentage of non-Christians who know a Christian is climbing. Number six, more than 90 million Bibles will be printed this year. 90 million Bibles are being printed and distributed around the world. And number seven, fewer Christians are dying for their faith, and that's not because there's fewer that are willing to. No, it's fewer that are being put to death. One place where there are Christians being persecuted but where there is also a work of God going on is in Iran. Iran, strongly Islamic nation. And yet Iran, 20 years ago, there were 5,000 to 10,000 Christians that it was believed they existed in Iran. 5,000 to 10,000, just 20 years ago. Today, they estimate that there are 800,000 to 1 million Christians 
in Iran from 10,000 to 1 million in 20 years. It's come up, the issue, the, the Iran government and the Islamic State is having a challenge trying to figure out what they're going to do about this. And they're trying to put the movement down, they're trying to squelch it. And their unsuccessful Christianity just keeps growing, even in Iran. God is at work. And we should expect it to happen according to God's plan. He says, did not the Christ have to suffer and then enter his glory? He's telling them, believe the prophets. It had to happen the way the word said it was going to happen. Evil can't stop God from doing what he plans to do. They couldn't stop him from going to the cross and dying for our sins. They couldn't stop him from rising again from the dead. And they can't stop God from taking care of his children. They can't stop God from watching over us. They can't stop the Lord from coming again. Evil is unable to do that. No, he will fulfill his promise as he said through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29. He says, I will fulfill my gracious promise. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. He has good plans and he will fulfill them. In Isaiah 42, he speaks about the, his servant. He's speaking about Jesus. And in speaking about Jesus, he says, He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. He will not falter or be discouraged. Those guys that day before they realized it was Jesus, they were discouraged. They looked around them, they saw what evil was doing, and they were discouraged. But Jesus comes and he doesn't get discouraged. And he wants to encourage us that we can trust his word, we can trust his promises, they're going to come true. In Jeremiah 40, in verse 3, he says, And now the Lord has brought it about. He has done just as he said he would. He did what he said he would in raising Jesus from the dead. And he continues to do what he says he will do. And he will do what he says he will do for all eternity. Our plans change. We make travel plans. Like Kathy and I had a plan to go to India in, in January, and that plan changed. And that happens often in our lives. Our plans get changed. But we can rejoice. God's plans don't get changed. <laughs> There's nothing happens that, that causes God to say, well, I had some plan, but I guess I can't do what I wanted to do now. <laughs> no, God's evil doesn't force God to have a change of plans. It happens according to his plan, and his plan is found in the Bible. He doesn't give maybe all the little details of his plan, but he gives us the heart of his plan. And the heart of his plan is Jesus. In all of the Bible, we see Jesus. Jesus, at first, he, he kept these guys from recognizing him because he wanted to, first of all, have a Bible study with them. And he wanted to show them how, in a way, how to study the Old Testament, what to look for in the Old Testament. Scripture is all about Jesus. It says he explained to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning himself. The scriptures at that time, the New Testament wasn't written yet, so the scriptures he's using concerning himself is the Old Testament. He says he opened the scriptures to them. The key to opening up 
the Old Testament is to recognize it's about Jesus. The Old Testament is about Jesus just as the New Testament's about Jesus. It's just the Old Testament is looking ahead to Jesus. The New Testament looks back. But Jesus is at the heart of the, of the scriptures, all of it. He says to them, he says that Moses and the prophets, they all were pointing ahead to Jesus going to the cross, rising again. The Old Testament, it, it can be confusing. <laughs> and it can be hard at times to try to figure out what in the world is it talking about. But one thing that can help us in trying to understand the Old Testament is to go in with the expectation Jesus is here. This is really about Jesus. In some way or another, it's, ultimately, it's going to be pointing to Jesus that that's what the Old Testament's about. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they spent much time in the Scriptures, but they missed the whole point. Jesus, in John chapter 10 and verse 3, tells them, he says, you diligently study the Scriptures. But he says, these are the Scriptures that testify about me. In these scriptures you're spending time in, you're, you're missing what it's about because he said the scriptures are really pointing to Jesus. In Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul is speaking to a Jewish group in a, in a synagogue and he quotes from the Old Testament a number of times. He's showing that the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ. He says, in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising Jesus. Jesus is the one that the Old Testament said was going to come, was going to go to the cross, was going to rise again. We have been back in the back, one of these blocks of wood where you got the little wood parts and you you look at it and at first you look at it and you think what in the world are these little different pieces of wood about but then it, then you look and if you look hard you see that yeah it spells jesus now if you don't see jesus there it's just going to seem like some goofy pieces of wood stuck on another piece of wood <laughs> and you wonder what's the point of this what is this but when you see, oh, it spells Jesus, then it makes some sense. For us, as we look at the Old Testament, if, if you don't realize it's about Jesus, then you think, well, I don't get this. But when you realize, okay, it's about Jesus, then you can look at things like the story of the Exodus. The story of the Exodus is really pointing ahead to Jesus when he brings us out of slavery and he does it by the sacrifice of a lamb who sheds blood to bring out of slavery. All the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, we wonder what's all that about? Well, it's about teaching us that sin needs to be paid for and blood is shed so that sin is paid for and we're forgiven. Jesus said the story of Noah, uh, the story of Jonah was really pointing ahead to him like Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish. So he said he was going to be three days in the tomb and he was going to rise again. As you read the Old Testament, I, I'd encourage you to read it and read it with that expectation. Where do I see Jesus here? How's this pointing ahead to Jesus? Scripture points ahead, and it does so with hope. Scripture helps us see the future with hope. 
before they realized it was Jesus, they were downcast. They were confused. It seemed hopeless. And then their eyes got open. And then after their eyes got opened up, Jesus disappeared. But they're not downcast about it. Because they know, well, yeah, he disappeared, but he's alive. And we'll see him again somewhere. And, and he's alive. He's with us. And he's opened up the scriptures. And, and then it, it says that they returned back to Jerusalem. They had just come walking from there. They'd walked, and it says it was seven miles. They walked seven miles back to Emmaus. And then as soon as they realized Jesus is alive, they just turn around and walk that seven miles back. <laughs> because they're so excited. And they're so full of joy and so full of hope. They want to share with the others. They're no longer downcast. Instead, they're ones who are full of hope, full of joy. They come to the others. They let them know it's true. He's risen. Jesus, he didn't point him, didn't reveal himself to them right at first. Because as we said, he wanted to have the Bible study with him. He wanted to point him to scripture and he wanted their hope to be in scripture, in the promises, not in their experience. Sometimes we put our hope in our experiences, but those can be so kind of up and down. We know we're forgiven of our sins, not because we feel forgiven. We know we're forgiven of our sins because the Bible says so. We know Jesus is alive. He has risen from the dead, not because we feel like he's alive. No, we know he's alive and risen because the Bible says so. Our hope is based on the promises of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verses 3 and 4, he says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. We have hope because of the Scriptures. Jesus opened up the Scriptures to them, and now they knew they had hope that was certain because the Scriptures said so. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 talks about our hope. It says, In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope no matter how wicked the world seems. We see the suffering around us. We see evil around us. But we know God's gracious plans are going to be fulfilled. God's promises are going to come true. He won't be stopped. And so we live with great hope. During the writing of the U.S. Constitution, George Washington sat in this chair that had on the kind of the back of the chair above his head, it had this that looks kind of like a sun. At the end of the convention, as they were wrapping up, Ben Franklin said, he said, I have been sitting here, I have been watching that, looking at that sun above Washington's head, and I have wondered if it was a sunset or a sunrise. And then he said, now after we've gotten this constitution written, I am convinced it's a sunrise, meaning that there's hope. We are to live as people who see the sun rising, not setting. 
for these guys on the road, before they realized it was Jesus, they were living like sunset. They were thinking, yeah, the good days were when Jesus was with us. The good days were these past three years, but now it's sun is set, sorrow lies ahead. But then they realized Jesus had risen. And then they became people who saw it as sunrise time. We are to always be people who are living with the expectation it's a sunrise. The glory is not behind us. The good days are not behind us. The hope is not behind us. God is at work. There are good days ahead. God, his promises are going to come true. We're looking forward to the sunrise. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we get to live as people with great hope. Because you have risen from the dead, we live with great hope because of the promises of Scripture. Lord, we live in a world that is full of despair. We are the ones who have the hope that we get to share with the world. In Jesus' name, amen.